Greetings and welcome to What's Wrong With Wolfie. My name is Jason. And I'm Rich. And I'm Chris. And this week, it's Jim Carrey. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to give a really big shout out to our supporters, Andrew and Tristan. Your support means a lot. And if anyone is listening that would like to do the same, then please head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Wolfie pod. Guys, we've got a guest. Ooh. Ooh. Is it Jim Carrey? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right, Jim. How's it going? No, joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you pulled that out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I managed to get someone to say yes with no bribery or blackmailing. Um, so who is this madman, <laughs> I hear you ask? Well, he is the host of the podcast N64 Life and friend of Under Consultation Podcast, which I've mentioned quite a few times on here. Um, it is no other than Cliff Foster, a.k.a. The Amazing Cliff. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? How's everyone? All right, Cliff. Yeah, good. I'm all right, thank you. I'm all good. Excited to be here. Really excited to be here. Yeah. I, I I said to you before, it feels very odd that I'm recording something mm-hmm. and then I don't have to think about editing it afterwards. Oh, right. So this is bloody brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it literally is the best feeling in the world, isn't it? It is. It's lovely. <laughs> um, I do another a, a couple of other podcast well i do um i've just started doing the dreamcast years with rich and his friend andrew and steve mm. um and i'm just i'm just a co-host on there so i i have i'm in the same situation i just turn up um i talk for a bit and then i i i go and it's beautiful i tell you what i'm just going to start putting my name out there to say <laughs> look i'll be on your podcast just so i can get loads of content out there but i don't have to do any of the hard work <laughs> i love this idea it's <laughs> great um so what we've got you here, I've just got a few questions I want to ask you. Um, Go for it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your podcast that you do? Cool. So I run a podcast called N64 Life. Uh, basically, what I do on N64 Life is we go down and revisit the lovely console, which was the Nintendo 64. Um, that's breaking it down into what I know as a battle for Jinjo. <laughs> where you usually put two or three games against each other uh, and score them on a basis of winning Jinjos, like in Banjo-Kazooie, where you could collect five Jinjos based on storyline, gameplay, uh, sound and graphics, um, the critics' review, and more importantly, what the listeners thought. Um, And then I do things like the mini histories. I have uh, something called Player 2 Enters the Pod. Basically, it's just everything on the greatest console of all time. Um, as well as having a Twitch stream, um, which at the moment I'm playing Superman 64. So that isn't a happy place at the moment. No. I know. I never owned that. Wasn't that um, a goal or something though, wasn't it? It was, yeah. When I reached uh, 200 followers, I had to play that. And every 100 followers now, I have to play an equally equally terrible game. I think I've got <laughs> Daikatana at some point. Oh. I've got... Carmageddon 64. Um, the next one is Batman of the Future or Batman Beyond, depending where in the world you are. Um, I, yeah, the list of the most terrible <laughs> games you can blink and think of. That's great. Um, I mean, you put yourself under that torture, but mm, it's working. So it's, yeah, great. It's yeah. Um, great. It's great obviously having a positive effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah. um, what, what is it about the N64 over other consoles that that allures you more? I think uh, if we go back to way back when, it was the first console that was mine because I have an older sister and a younger sister and everything we used to share. So we had a NES and a Mega Drive before that, but that was everyone's. And then for my 12th birthday in September of 1998, I got the N64 that you see me play on. So it's exactly the same N64 as I had back then. And I think where it was those years of secondary school and really until I got a PS2, which would have been about 2003, 2002, they were my sort of development years. And I think that where I had that console for those development years, I think that's why it stuck with me so well. And obviously there's games on there that we obviously Ocarina of Time. Mm. A lot of people consider it, if not the best game of all time. Um, but Banjo-Kazooie, I think that you, you had a very subtle humour with Banjo-Kazooie in there that was very almost Monty Python-esque. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there were actually quite a few unsung heroes like Silicon Valley, which, yet again, the Space Station Silicon Valley had that sort of humour to it. It didn't take itself too seriously. And I think with the PlayStation at the time and maybe even the Saturn, uh, it took them, they took themselves very, very, very seriously. Whether the N64, it didn't. It was a bit fun. It was a bit silly. It was a bit out there. And same with me. I wasn't, I'm an extrovert. And obviously in school, I wasn't ever really bullied, but I wasn't part of the it crowd i was very you know we're talking about jim carrey today yep. um you know somebody that i used to look up to because it was somebody that i could resonate with and i think even with the n64 there were so many characters that i could resonate with at that time i mean it's uh, a beautiful console and i've got many happy memories of playing mm -hmm. games on that on that machine um like you say banjo kazooie Superman, six, Superman, Super Mario 64 even. <laughs> don't, don't give me that, <laughs> I know, <please. laughs> uh, Golden Eye, you know, I've got, mm -hmm. you know, we spent many an hour on the multiplayer and it, it, it is a beautiful machine. Um, I believe you, you kind of have that same kind of feeling with it, don't you, Rich? Yeah, I think it's the only console that's really managed to pull off both that kind of like toyetic look and also look like a slick, like kind of hi-fi. It looks yep. smart and trendy <laughs> in the curves, that nice charcoal grey, and you've got the actual grey controller. It just, it, I remember when it first came out, I mean, obviously I was very much obsessed with the PlayStation when it came out, but when you first saw the pictures of it, it just mm. was really striking piece of hardware. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it still looks fantastic today. I mean, I'm looking at it on my shelf right now, and it's still, it yeah, it, it looks banging. It, it <laughs> yeah, does look still, great. still got mine as well. Still works. Doesn't have to boot up. Just boom, done. Yeah, yeah. Still got all my the games. Beautifulness of an old machine. Just and like you guys said, like multiplayers, and it just mm -hmm. the games they had, like you guys said, was just it was just fun. Mm -hmm. I remember just getting home and instead of turning the TV on, I'd just go straight upstairs and just turn the N64 on because my brother had a PlayStation mm. and very similar to you Jason like I saved up money mm -hmm. and bought my own so that was kind of my first own console so I didn't have that luxury of having a rich family so and it was great and it still is I mean I haven't played it in a fair few years because I haven't got since moving down to the island I haven't actually set anything up since so. <laughs> 
<laughs> you need to um, you need to sort yourself out with an EverDrive and a and a SD card, and oh, you'll be well away. So I tell you what, that that the EverDrives are absolutely fantastic. They aren't they aren't cheap, but um, they you know for a hundred and twenty quid you can have every single game you want on there. Uh, for me, I very much use my EverDrive because the great thing about the N sixty four is because it's so loved, people are still creating mods for it. Um, and there's so many out there, especially like Banjo and uh, Ocarina of Time. People are completely demolishing these games and recreating completely new experiences. And you generally can, yeah, absolutely not just dive into games you love, but find things that people have put love and care into that you will fall in love with just as much. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well, let's. Um, I've got one more question before we move on, uh, Go Cliff. On. And that is, uh, what is your favourite N64 game? But I think you probably already answered that. Yeah, um, Ocarina of Time is my favourite game of all time. However, um, I have got a huge soft spot for Banjo. Anything, uh, Banjo and Kazooie. Um, as I said before, I think, ba- especially Kazooie's sassiness. I do like <laughs> Kazooie. She's great. Yeah. Um, uh, to the point of, you know, not telling a family that their dad had died. Spoilers if you've not played Banjo Tooie. Um, to the, yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's, she's just a complete ball of sass. She's awesome. And yeah, so I've got a massive, um, you know, love for that. Uh, there is another game that I completely love, but this is a running joke on my podcast. It's not called Diddy Kong Racing. It's it's called Timber Tiger Racing because it's Timber's <laughs> Island. It's not Diddy Kong's Island. It's Timber's Island. Um, that game was the third game I ever got for this console. And I would hate to think how many hours I've sunk into Diddy Kong Racing. It's just, it, yeah, people when they talk about Mario Kart and I'm sat there going, still not as good as Diddy Kong. <laughs> you know, it all still to this day, 25 years later, I'm still on my high horse of defending Diddy Kong racing or timber tiger racing hashtag justice of timber um i i will i will defend that game to you know to hell and back when people sprout about how great superman uh, sorry um you've got me doing it now uh super yeah. uh so super mario kart 64 was yeah i i still hold the opinion that super mario oh god uh, mario kart 64 isn't that great like it's, it's it pales in comparison to the SNES one and everything that's followed it. It feels slow. It just doesn't feel right to me. It never did. Um, Seeing those games came out exactly weeks apart, and I mean weeks yeah, apart. And if you crazy. were to sit someone down to play on both, and you tell them afterwards that came only out a month after, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's almost like, hang on, Rare had exactly the same technology. Yet they did all this where Nintendo went, ah, just 3D render on top of 2D graphics. It'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) It just shows you the confidence Nintendo had in that franchise even back then, that they they knew they could do that and still get away with selling millions of copies. Mm. It's just a shame we never saw the... um... A sequel which would have been called Donkey Kong Racing, uh, mm. which was set for the GameCube. But after Microsoft purchased out all the rights to Rare, that that was the end of it. We never saw we never saw the uh, we never saw the sequel, which was a shame. What's a shame? Wow. But uh, we we are recording this um, on the evening of the latest Nintendo Direct, so you never know. 
<laughs> might be tonight. <laughs> well, it's like me every time going, go and give me a banjo game. Come on, Nintendo, Microsoft, smack your heads together. Give me a banjo game. Uh, but <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let's leave the N64 there. We, we're, you know, we haven't all come together to talk about the N64, although I think we could probably spend all even doing that. Um, <laughs> Quite easily. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. But what we, um, what we uh, what we are here for is to talk about Jim Carrey, and more so the three films that uh, all came out in this one year, nineteen ninety four, and um, it just shows you the kind of impact that Jim Carrey had on the film in the film industry uh, as soon as he kind of started. And I, I believe the first film that we are going to talk about because I'm going to go through these films in the in the way that they were released. Um, so the first film that we're going to be talking about is uh, Ace Ventura, uh, Pet Detective. For him to then follow on with two other big, massive films in the same one year just propelled him to such magnitudes of, you know, any any role could be his, I think, uh, obviously depending on what he wanted to do. But um, I think the first question I want to ask just before we jump into, the, into Ace Ventura to you guys is like... <laughs> What, what, I mean, like, I could say, like, what, what makes Jim Carrey so popular, but I mean, like, it's his zany kind of behavior, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not the kind of comedian you, you would look back and think, yeah, he appealed to people because he had, you know, a dry sense of humor or, you know, understated delivery. It was very <laughs> much, uh, just, he, filled the screen with his facial mm-hmm. expressions and just mm. just yeah how do you i don't know how you put into words how you describe jim carrey you know i can describe like you know, a chris farley or you know a adam sandler for better or worse um <laughs> but jim carrey yeah i just don't know how you really put a pin in what works with him he's just so odd and unique it's it's a hard one to describe i do think that you know, if you're looking at Jim, I I think that there's only one comedian that you could really look at of our generation before him that sort of stands out like Jim does, and that was Robin Williams. Mm. Because if you look at, let's say, Jim's work, Robin's work, that if you were to tell, if you, if you put a sound clip of anything from Jim's, as you said, he's not really reserved. He's very electric. Um, same with Robin, that it's he plays he plays Jim very well, you know, and I think that that's what makes him stand out because in all three of these movies, when we go through them, they are delicately different, but at the same time, very much Jim. And it just resonates with it. I think that's, it resonates with people. People look at someone playing that sort of role of the over hyperactive jester. And I think that, yeah, it's it's almost that that confidence that people want to an extent, if you understand my meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just, I think he approached all of the projects he did or does with so much sincerity and passion, and he didn't mm-hmm. sleepwalk through them. You know, you have comedians who will just turn up, say a few gags, um, hashtag Eddie Murphy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, Hashtag fat suit. Yeah, Eddie Murphy no, no. was good in the seventies, eighties, early nineties, and then all of a sudden, complete sellout. But he just approached every project with a very serious 
like, right, we're going to do this. Mm. And instead of just delivering the lines, being Jim Carrey, he actually put thought and passion and so much energy behind him into these three projects and even his later ones. And I think very much like you got, I don't know if it kind of spoke to me on a very personal level because I've got that childish energy that will run away with me if I get really excited and I'll be like noisy and like, <laughs> ah, you know, <laughs> like that kind of charge. So he kind of resonated with me on a personal level in a way. And you're like, wow, who is this guy who, like you said, compared it to Robin Williams, exactly the same. Mm. Never, never sleepwalked for a project. Never, he just put his all in, literally 101% mm-hmm. and it showed. And the charisma comes off the screen and it's just that confidence, that energy, just, it's just captivating. It's literally mm-hmm. hypnotic. That's the only way I can describe it is it's just yeah. hypnotic. You just, you feel exhausted watching it sometimes. <laughs> I think that's what I liked about watching Jim Carrey was because I'd, I kind of fed off his energy. And yeah. I kind of, um, I don't know, when, when I when I first saw his, when I first saw Ace Ventura, I mean, I'd never really kind of seen anything like it before and I think that's what kind of attracted me to his films even more so because I just didn't know what to expect next from him the the effort that he put into his performances I think just catapulted him to the next level and thank you very much Mm. because I can't imagine a world without Jim Carrey in it um so we are covering Ace Ventura, as I've already mentioned, um, and the other two films that I forgot to mention are The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. Um, quite excited to talk about all of them, but before we do, there is just one more question I need to ask, and that is, what was in your glass, Rich? <laughs> what was in my glass, indeed? It's gone. <laughs> um, this one's from uh, Omnipolo Brewery, and it is called Mango Space Food, and it is a Cotton candy, space cookie, pina colada, double milkshake IPA. <laughs> oh my Ooh. god! Yeah, it's Classy. actually not that fantastic. It's, oh, it's really? okay. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, no. probably the the weakest I've had. I'd say a good seven point eight, maybe. Well, uh, I think that's the lowest rating yeah. you've ever given a beer on this podcast. It kind of improved as I went along, but it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's very very cloudy. It's got bits in it, which is quite nice. Um, but yeah, I think if it's got bits in it, you should send it back. Uh, this, is, this needs to be a watchdog if beers <laughs> have got bits in it. <laughs> so yeah, it sounds like the title was much more impressive than the actual beer. Yeah, I'd say. I mean, the percentage is actually higher than the score. It's eight percent, which is uh, pretty good. It's very drinkable, though. I'll give it that. You, know, okay. if you don't notice it, it goes down very easy. So yeah, nice. It's okay, it's okay. okay, but not the best. No, awesome. It also says the um. It also has the unfortunate title of a cream team as well, which is a oh dear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll oh leave dear. that there. <laughs> that's what the label that, says. That's is a rat. <laughs> indeed. So, well, yeah. if you're interested, go and check that out from uh, which brewery again, Rich? Uh, it's Omnipolo. Omnipolo Brewery. There you yeah. go. Very good. All right, well, let's get into the first film, Ace Ventura. As Holy testicle Tuesday. What the hell is he doing here? I came to confess. 
I was the second gunman on the grassy knoll. Spare me the routine, Ventura. I know you're working the snowflake case. May I suggest you yield to the experts on this one? We'll find the porpoise. Whew. Now I feel better. Of course, that might not do any good. You see, nobody's missing a porpoise. It's a dolphin that's been taken. The common harbor porpoise has an abrupt snout, pointed teeth, and a triangular thoracic fin, while the bottlenose dolphin, or Terciops truncatus, has an elongated beak, round cone-shaped teeth, and a serrated dorsal appendage. <laughs> I'm sure you already knew that. That's what turns me on about you. Your attention to detail. Listen, pet dick. How would you like me to make your life a living hell? Well, I'm not really ready for a relationship, Lois. But thank you for asking. Hey, maybe I'll give you a call sometime. Your number's still 911? Alrighty then. Ace Ventura Pet Detective is a 1994 American comedy film starring Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura, an animal detective who is tasked with finding the abducted dolphin mas mascot of the Miami Dolphins football team. The film was directed by Tom Shadyak, is that how you pronounce it? No <laughs> <Sounds> idea. <right. laughs> who wrote the screenplay with Jack Bernstein and Jim Carrey. The film, the film co-stars Courtney Cox, Tony Locke, Sean Young and their Miami Dolphins quarterback, Dan Marino, and features a cameo appearance from death metal band Cannibal Corp. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't seen this film in a long time, and mm. I, en I enjoyed watching it back. Um, there mm. were a lot of good moments in this film that just made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah, what, what's your thoughts? I mean, I re I revisited all three of these films like on the uh, commute into work on the train, so it was quite quite an odd sight seeing me chuckling <laughs> at a film from like nearly thirty years ago. Um, but yeah, I've not seen this film in the longest time as well. This one sticks in my mind probably least of the three, but not because it's the the worst or you know least impressive of the three. Um, just haven't seen it in the longest time. But yeah, I, I really do rate this film. I mean, I like the opening, how much energy there is to it. Like, it's a really good introduction for him as just an incredibly careless um, career driver. Yeah. Yes. Moving <laughs> a package around. It's, just, <laughs> it's a very odd opening. He's just kicking the shit out of that one. You got, you know? <laughs> yeah, he is. You've got no context. So you kind of no. jump, you're thrown into the film. You're like, what is this? Is that his job? A fragile box is, being kicked yeah, down the road. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's a weird way to set the scene with him and kind of introduce <laughs> the audience to this guy in terms of, you know, the character and the actor. It's just, yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a good film. And it was nice to go back and start watching it again. So. What yourself, Cliff? Well, I've got to admit, is it's that element of that you know you said you're thrown into this movie. I remember watching it back when I was a kid and sort of not understanding he doesn't really work for the Miami Police yeah. Department. Um, no, I think I, 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 I just yeah. I, yeah. I think I think it takes it took me a fair few years to go. 
oh, they just really yeah. hate yeah. him. <laughs> and it's like you think to yourself, why does he get... It's, it's almost like you. we all remember that time where you've had like almost a project or something like that and somebody's trying to not attach themselves to it, but they, they're sort of on the outskirts and they're, they're really nice, they're really energetic, but sometimes you're like, your input's really not needed here. And that that seems to be ace. Like they just, just give him like the literal sense of, you know, um, saving the cat from the tree, you know, giving him those jobs, you know, as the pet detective. Um, so it almost seems like it, it, it's that that sort of cliche of a private detective, but at the same time, it's just a very specific job he does, but he <laughs> yeah. doesn't work for the police. <laughs> it's just, just hanging out in the police department. And like yeah, you, t- it there. took me about 10 years on and off watching this film yeah. to actually finally realise and go, Hang on a minute. He's just turned up there, somehow got into the top office and mm-hmm. is fishing for information. But he's on good friendly terms with a couple of the people in there. It's, just like, <laughs> it's madness. It's like, how? How does someone manifest his own job and then become... Oh, it's just, and yeah, I, I think, had no idea. I think the penny only really dropped with me that last time watching this when he really was talking back to Sean Young because I thought oh, okay that can't be his boss yeah. because no. it's like I was thinking up until that point okay yeah he's there and everyone hates him like you said but then I realized no one would do that especially her because she has a real presence about her and I'm like okay these guys these these two aren't related in any way he is literally encroaching on their space he's not part mm-hmm. of the operation so yeah it took me way too long to, to figure yeah. that out but I think also that comes from watching it as young kids because I was mm-hmm. 10, 11 in 1994. Mm. So you don't have that context that grown-up grown up viewers would have yeah. of that of these situations. So you you literally, you then you're, you're stuck with the memories you have as a kid. So when you're viewing it, you slip back into that, I don't know, you could say innocent, like less world-weary person and it doesn't occur to you for the rest of the viewing. Mm-hmm. until you think about it <laughs> yeah and actually to sort of lead into that plot without destroying it and getting right to the end straight away but it's almost like they they give him that job because it, it's almost like well he's not going to solve it it's it's just him you know the outsider that's coming in and yeah. then as he gets closer and closer and closer the obviously the main antagonist that we find out at the end uh you know that it becomes almost more and more that she it becomes what you know worrying to her that he's actually going to find out that he's got it all the right reason. Yeah. yeah he's got <laughs> <Yeah>. it right <laughs> so <laughs> just but yeah no um watching it back now and uh it, it was a little bit ruder than i remembered it um mm-hmm. i think you know, the Straight from the off, really, where he rescued the little dog and brought him back to 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 the the lady owner, and then she proceeded to um, thank him in a very personal way. Um, That's a very English way of putting it. Just no right. <laughs> <laughs> I only remember the ITV edit, so I don't know. I See, don't know what you're this, talking about. this is what I mean. Until I bought the DVD, must have been early two thousands. I there were some scenes and shots in there that I'd never seen, so it was like a director's cut to me when I first watched it on DVD. Because <laughs> I'd obviously ever watched it on. Um, oh no, Saturday VHS afternoon on, on B- yeah. yeah. <laughs> I th- think I bought a VHS. Must have been I don't know ninety nine, ninety eight, or something. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it must have been. A, 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 I can remember having this on VHS, though. But do you think the 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 British, you know, 
the BBFC maybe cut some bits out back then. Probably. They used to like to do that, didn't they? Still doing it now in your nanny state. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember I had a um, videotapes copy of Ghostbusters 2 um, from ITV and the whole end scene was just like literally cut out to, <laughs> ah, they've just won. So, <laughs> and it was, it was literally like, there was none of this like Ray turning into Vigor. It wasn't, oh. it was just like, ah, oh, they saved the day. So I can imagine if they did that to Ghostbusters, they're definitely going to do it to Ace Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but obviously this film kind of uh created the the uh, quite a few popular catchphrases that were used in the playground. Um for, hmm. for quite I a remember few, I remember them well. <laughs> for, for quite a few years I'd like I'd like to say um mm. obviously the the biggest one was uh, oh, all righty then. Um but I think that probably helped this film didn't it to to propel it to where it went. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. I mean, I've always been a fan of like a glove. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just always love to spin on that in the second one where he crashes the car and he just struggles to say it and he just says it anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, in, the, in that scene as well, I remember oh. me and my big sister literally going, whenever we went anywhere in the car, doing his rendition of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, and I, then, do, I do, I do that ring all ring the time. Oh, you Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Chitty Bang Bang, we love you. And <laughs> <laughs> but then as soon as my dad would come and draw, uh, park up, we would just shout, like a glove, every time. <laughs> I mean, I know we're, we're drifting off onto a sequel, but if I remember rightly, wasn't wasn't that scene shot with Ian McNeese in the car and Jim Carrey completely blanked his line and couldn't remember what it was? Yes, and... And then just started singing Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because he was Amazing. in a car <laughs> and they left the camera running. And that's and what I think they did in a lot of these scenes, which just left the camera mm. running and just just cut it where it needed. And all these actors, like Robin Williams and yeah. and one of um, England's great exports is Matt Smith. Like, just keep the mm. camera on these manic, childlike people, and you will capture gold. <laughs> and it's, they did. Yeah, and it's it's almost like you're saying about English versions, you know, like let's say a Peter Sellers, if we're going to go back that far, you know, it, it it's that element of that you you don't need to necessarily give the guy a script. Yeah, he's just going to roll with it. He's yeah. just going to go for it. And I remember actually said it being pointed out that that scene and uh, when nature calls, and you can see the side profile that he's absolutely wetting himself. Yeah, he, he's absolutely <laughs> lost it. But until you sort of look into his side profile back profile you go oh yeah he's absolutely gone <laughs> so uh, I'm interested to know what your favourite f- scene from the film is um, so I'll, I'll ask Chris first what, what was your favourite scene of the film I mean growing up Race and Troy right, it was one of those films that was kind of always on in our house again like Dumb and Dumber and I don't think I have a favourite scene. It's cliche to have the favourite scenes, like in the, the mental institution. Yeah. And stuff like that. But I, I don't know. I think it's just got... It's just this great... An hour and a half long great scene. I don't know. It's just something about a Jim Carrey film, especially like a vehicle like this and the other two that we're going to talk about. It's difficult to pin down a quintessential yeah. moment from these films. Because there are so many, and there are so many things like 
I I remember losing my shit when he turns around to Einhorn and says, you know, I'll call you later. Is your number still 911? <laughs> and I was, that, the, the delivery of that line, it floors me every time. And I'll, I'll, I'll roll around laugh. It is just brilliantly done. And I don't know. I can't really pinpoint a favourite scene. And I just want to say, like, how good a sport Dan Marino was as well. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like, mate, cry. I, I don't know, like, it's just maybe the the banquet scene, which they kind of do another version of in mm-hmm. the second one. And I, I don't know, it's just and the whole Mission Impossible thing, he's going to the <laughs> tank, and then they and then they do the, the Jaws reference where it comes out of the water and it's a close-up of his screaming face. And when you're a 10-year-old and you're watching that shit, that is funny as fuck. <laughs> yes. And just... They're wondering where he is, and he's in the toilet, and he just comes out and just in rags of clothes, clothes soaking wet. But nothing's ever said. He just comes out and it's like, "Do not go in there." <laughs> it, I don't know. It's just just that whole Mission Impossible stuff is just brilliantly done. Yeah, and I mean, the it whole... gets funnier every single time you see it. Just to quote Beetlejuice, there, but it's just... yeah, just just the whole thing like he jumps over the wall and then he shuffles like a couple of centimeters and then he jumps back over onto the back, but, back to the previous his, side and yeah, by his physicality alone, it makes you think that it is this most epic daring thing, and it's not. He's just going from one door to another, but over a railing, and then he's pins himself to the wall and shuffles along <laughs> it and then opens the door and then swings into it. It's just, <laughs> But by using his physicality, you can actually just imagine he's on the edge of a tall building or something <laughs> stupid like that. Yeah, it's definitely. mad. It's, it's a final just, reference as well. You think this is like a whole year before like... Uh, before Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible into yeah. like the zeitgeist again. Yeah. You know, we didn't... It was that show from like the, what, the 60s mm. and then like the 80s. Yeah. So... Yeah, it it almost felt a bit of a weird reference, but it just really, really is works. It's goddamn funny. Um, Very. Uh, Rich, do do you have a favourite scene from this film? Um, I could say scene, but I think it boils down to one line. Okay. It's just the bit when he's letting himself into his apartment <laughs> and his landlord, who's Hector Salamanca, by the way, from Breaking yeah, Bad. Oh, yes. Like, yes. So, like, you said yeah. he, tur- he turns up in Star Trek Next Generation. I was watching it recent- the other year and I was just like, what? Wait? No. Did, did, did you think that he looked exactly the same thing yes. as he oh, did yeah. in Breaking Bad? I think he's I one of those people that were born at the age of 57. I know. Like, but I didn't like, know if that was a compliment <laughs> or not. <laughs> that, you know. It's just the bit where he goes, Ventura, and he's like, yes, Satan? <laughs> and it's just beautiful timing. It's so fantastic. And after that, it's just a bit like Chris mentioned about the banquet and when oh, they get to the door, he's like, hi, Captain Stubing, is that your permission yeah, to come aboard? Just- <laughs> <laughs> and I just, like, and I, just I was on the train crying. But it just, it's just so good. It's like there's little bits, like there's whole chunks of these films you remember, but there's those little bits that you rediscover again. Like I didn't remember mm. certain lines, like the bit with the landlord, like that line with Captain Stubing. They actually... It's almost like I was hearing them for the first time again. Yeah. They just had me in hysterics. Um, but you know what the worst part is? Like, all my life you watch these films and you hear these amazing lines and you think to yourself, I need to remember those lines to use in real life. And yeah. then you, yeah. you never remember them. Yeah. No. And then or, you watch the you film again yeah. and you're like, shit, I could have used that. I could... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the line next to you is when your wife's pissing you off next, can't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brave man. 
Uh, what about yourself, Cliff? Do you have a favourite scene from the film or a favourite line or joke? I, th- I think that the sort of, you know, we t- we've spoken a lot about his physicality and I totally agree. Like, my first idea was uh, taking it. Wow, it's the Hello Satan. I love that line and I love the contrast between the two of them, even with the sort of voices, you know, you've got, mm. as I said, the ever the ever 50 year old um <laughs> you know but then you've got that sort of gruff voice again sort of uh jim's very energetic youthfulness but i do like a running gag and the whole thing of him trying to catch this bloody dove for 25 grand <laughs> um i do love it and then obviously then it ends in the final scene of him having a fight with the mascot um and then the sort of camera shot coming into him so i do think that that was more you know even though Obviously, Kerry pulls it off. That's very. I like clever write like that. That you can actually have a running jag all the way through. That then does have a payoff at the end. So, yeah. No, apart from everything else, everybody else has said that I sort of went, oh, this one, oh, this one. Oh no, somebody got that one. Um, I think that will be the only other one I like. Is I yeah. do like a good running gag. Yeah, cool. Um, I mean, personally, for me, for some reason, I think when he's in the uh, dolphin tank and he's doing the whole um, <laughs> Scotty into the camera thing, just... I can't do it, Captain. I just don't have the power. <laughs> and just him just doing that, I just I just lose it. Uh, and I... Uh, it's, yeah, it's just my favourite part of the film. Um, I, no, love I would bit. say one honourable mention as well as the bit when they get him committed to the, uh, the uh, mental um, hospital and uh, he does the whole, like... Um, <laughs> When he's playing, when he's dressed in the tutu, yeah. it's like, just give me a chance. <laughs> he just does the whole, like, um, oh, like the whole yeah, football play into the oh, doctor, yeah, yeah. who's yeah. played by the mayor from Ghostbusters. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then just does the whole, no, let's do an instant replay. And he just does the whole thing in reverse. And he just, it's just beautiful physical comedy. Like, yeah. it's fantastic. It's so good. It is. Um, and before we just move on to the next film, I just want to ask, do you, how badly do you think this film has aged? <laughs> Ooh, there's not a, there's not a hint of there's not a hint of gay panic or transphobia in this film. No, so no, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's move no, on. There's no, <laughs> there's, there's no scene of any throwing up when they realise that they may have tr- uh, kissed a trans woman. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's yeah. and uh, yeah, it's aged uh, like a fine sock <laughs> in a uh, dustbin. Uh, I think yeah, it's I think. I think that that scene definitely, you know, we, we obviously it's very 90s and obviously we've got Dumb and Dumber that has that final scene where it's very 90s. Um, but I think that, yeah, it's it's definitely, it's it's a proud moment of that we have moved on enough to turn around and say, nah, that ain't cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it's a shame really that mm. it, it, it kind of involves that kind of area because because of what the film because of the rest of the film you know it's such yeah. a, such a great mm. film for all these different reasons that we've said and then it kind of lets itself down right near the end with with mm. with with that subject oh, yes. you know and and it's a shame i just want to say like in just got this bit i picked off of wikipedia uh, and on there it said, in spite of unfavourable reviews from critics, Carey's performance led to the film having a cult following among male adolescents. In addition to launching Carey's film career, it also spawned the sequel film Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, 
1995. The animated television series, also titled Ace Ventura Pet Detective, which ran for three seasons between 1995 and 2000. Wow. And later, a made-for-television spin-off standalone sequel, Ace Ventura Jr. Pet Detective. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a random fat kid to play him. It's really, really weird. He's got the hair, though, see? It's it's Ace. (laughs) It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm not buying this and Woolies for, like, seven quid. No way. No. (laughs) Wait until it goes down to at least two. Exactly. (laughs) It's so bad. Um, Uh, A direct sequel to the first two films is apparently in development. Really? Oh, really? Apparently. I hope it's but, better than Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that was disappointing, but we'll go there later. Um, the chairman and CEO of Morgan Creek Productions, James G. Robinson, sought in the early 1990s to produce a comedy that would have wide appeal. Gag writer Tom Shadjak pitched a rewrite of the script to Robinson and was hired as director for what was his directional debut. Filmmakers first approached Rick Moranis to play Ace Ventura. <laughs> okay, that would have been weird. That. Wow, that would have that been that. very different. <laughs> yeah, but Moranis declined the role. Aww. They then considered calling Judge Nelson or Alan Rickman, and they also considered changing Alan, Ace... Alan Rickman. Alan Sorry. Rickman, yep. Wow. <laughs> Don't think that really would work, would it? That's no. one of all righty then when uh, Hans Gruber was <laughs> yeah. all righty all right then. To then. <laughs> so good. I'd watch that ten times. Like, oh my god, that'd be amazing. Uh, and they also considered changing Ace Ventura to be female and casting Whoopi Goldberg as the pet detective. Mm. Interesting. Mm. That would have been good. Yeah. Ultimately, the producers noticed Jim Carrey's performance in the sketch comedy show *In Living Color* and cast him as Ace Ventura. Hmm. Kerry helped rewrite the script and filmmakers allowed him to improvise on set. Kerry said of his approach, I knew this movie was going to either be something that people really went for or it was going to ruin me completely. From the beginning of my involvement, I said that the character had to be rock and roll. He had to be the 007 of Pet Detectives. I wanted to be unstoppably (laughs) ridiculous and they let me go wild. He said he sought comedic moments that would be unappealing to some. I wanted to keep the action unreal and over the top. When it came time to do my reaction to kissing a man, I wanted it to be the biggest, most obnoxious, homophobic reaction ever recorded. It's so ridiculous, it can't be taken seriously, even though it guarantees that somebody's going to be offended. Interesting. Okay. They actually acknowledge it as well. That's interesting. Hmm. Um. Ace Ventura was released on February the 4th, 1994, with a budget of $15 million. Its box office worldwide was $107.2 million, and it's sitting on IMDb at the moment at 6.9 out of 10. But there some Dan interesting Marie- facts. Sorry, Chris? I was saying Dan Marino took $10 million of that. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least. But some interesting facts in that, I thought. But um, I'm kind of glad that Jim kind of, like you say, he he went on record to talk about the homophobic parts of the film. Mm. Yeah, I was surprised, actually. That's cool. Anyway, that was Ace Ventura. Um, Our next film that we want to talk about is The Mask.
Directed by Chuck Russell, produced by Bob Engelman, and written by Mike Werb, and loosely based on the Mask comics published by Dark Horse Comics. It stars Jim Carrey, Peter Rygert, Peter Green, Amy Yasbeck, Richard Jenny, and Cameron Diaz in her film debut. Carrey plays Stanley Ipkiss, a hapless everyday bank clerk who finds a magical mask that transforms him into the mask a green-faced troublemaker with the ability to cartoonishly alter himself and his surroundings, at will, who later becomes a crime fighter, only to become targeted by gangster Dorian Tyrell, who desires to overthrow his superior. So, The Mask. Um, I think this was probably my second f- biggest film I was looking forward to rewatching because I think this had... Uh, uh, more, I had more nostalgic memories of this film. I think um, I've been trying to get my kids to watch this for ages, but they keep saying no, which is quite annoying. Um, Do you want to watch the Jamie Kennedy one instead? Oh God, <laughs> no! It never happens. No, I've no, never, no, no, I've no, never no, even, never I've happened. never seen it. I, I've seen it halfway through, and I stopped watching it. <laughs> yeah, we all got X when that film came out. Oh, awful. So now, bad. when I rewatched it for the podcast. Um, I enjoyed the film. I I, I, um, it, I remembered a lot of the film and uh, afterwards, I mean, I had a good time with the film. I thought it was still fun and I still thought that the um, majority of the effects kind of held up for mm. me. But yeah. I've, um, I know you and Chris and Rich, you, you've got some kind of differing opinions on it. It's revisiting this in a way is the one I was looking forward to the most. Um, I won't go too deep into my thoughts on Dumb and Dumber, um, but at the time, yeah, I was looking forward to this the most because it is the it's the one film I think of that trilogy that at the time when it came out, I was really quite excited about it because it had that kind of superhero film vibe to it mm. at a time where the superhero film wasn't really a thing so it just it was very fantastical i still remember that poster it just kind of popped in the promotional material it really got my attention when it first came out and Mm. i've not watched it for the longest time so it really felt like a proper revisit like i think aches and especially dumb and dumb i'm way from way more familiar with after repeated viewing so this was yeah this one was way more interesting to see how it kind of aged how it you know stood the test of time and 
I still liked it, but I would say it was probably the weakest of the three. <sighs> I know, crazy. Um, but why? Why do you think that? It just, it doesn't, I just, you know, in a, I don't know. I'm, in a weird way, I feel like it's got the least, it's got the least energy of the three films, despite being insanely cartoony. Uh, there's something to be said, I think, maybe in, you could look at this maybe as a good thing, but it's probably strangely the most grounded of the three films because you've got Jim Carrey playing this dual role. So when he's at his wackiest, he's playing it within another character. It's accentuating what he's able to do, you know, to do as a comedy actor as this vintage cartoon, whereas Stanley, because he's your kind of down and out, you know, relatable kind of mm-hmm. just character so it's a kind of film you could show to someone that isn't necessarily into Jim Carrey or doesn't necessarily want to see you know madcap comedy every five seconds it, it, it's weird that this should be the most grounded of the three mm. but it kind of weirdly is um but I don't know it just didn't it didn't click with me like it did when it originally came out I I got more of a kick out of Ace, I think, on mm. a on a set on a you know on a rewatch. It's um a, a weird one. I don't know. Um, I might watch it again and actually change my assessment. <laughs> I don't know. That was one time on my phone on a train, which doesn't always necessarily do it justice. It's a very yeah. visual film, so that probably didn't do it any many favors. But I'd be interested to see what you guys think, especially Chris, as he's a little bit on the. Uh, opposite side of the coin to a degree um, compared to me yeah Chris well it it's kind of aged well and also hasn't it's a weird mix because I think the thing that made didn't I think it just it moves so swiftly and is like you're literally from one scene to another to another to another without having a chance to sort of like it just literally runs like a paint by numbers film that just happens to have Jim Carrey in the middle of it mm. and I loved The Mask growing up as a kid I thought it was a great film and then when you sort of watch it as an adult you sort of like you realise how it's just sort of like one dimensional it can kind of be sometimes and I don't know it just when I rewatched it recently, it was just it just it didn't have that cohesive sheen that Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura kind of have. I don't know. It's it's weird to me because I have fond memories of it, and they always say never revisit things you haven't seen in a while. And it was fun, and it was great. The music was fantastic, and Jim Carrey's performance was fantastic. But I think all of it together just kind of needed. It needed something that was missing, and I can't work out what that would be. Interesting, um, Cliff. I, what, sorry, have you finished, Chris? Yeah, I just, I was trying to. I don't know. It just misses missing something, but it does work, and it doesn't work. It's yeah, it's weird. Yeah, um, yeah, Cliff. Do you do you have um, similar thoughts? Well, I out the three. This is my favourite now. If I was to say, I've got an eight-year-old son, and when I was like, I was saying to my wife, I was like, oh, I'm doing another podcast, I need to watch all three of these movies again. 
the one that he went, oh, can I watch that with you, was The Mask. Now, I actually am in agreement that it has obviously started life as a comic book, which was a lot more graphic, um, to say the least. But it, I think that it has got that comic book movie style, that it's got that sort of, as you said, sort of scene by scene by scene by scene, almost like you are reading a comic book yeah. by slide by side by side by slide. And actually coming on to the basis of Jim in this, I think that actually out of the three, this is his best acted because, you know, he, he does serious role. He comes on later on after 1994 to do more serious roles. But actually as Ipkiss, he plays he plays it deadpan. And that's great because you've got that contrast there. And I really, really love it. And you actually grow to love Ipkiss because he is that, I was saying earlier about sort of people looking up to Jim and saying, well, I wish I had that confidence. That is the literal physical embodiment of how actually people look at Jim is that they it's Ipkiss is looking at the mask and wanting that confidence, wanting the girl, wanting the, you know, that that's that spontaneity. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed this movie watching it back. I mean, I really did. There's certain scenes in it that I love, but it also brought back memories. And I used to have a dog growing up called uh, Ratter because we were obsessed with Wurzel Gummidge in my house. Um, and uh, but I used to shout to him when he used to have a toy. I used to shout, "Drap it!" like that. Like he shouts to uh, Milo. <laughs> yeah. And but it was I for me also obviously it's. The graphics made by Silicon Graphics, which N64, just putting it out there. But I, I think, you know, I, I think for me, you know, I think that was the one that I went back and watched and enjoyed more. With Ace Ventura, I was like, ah, oh, I want to watch When Nature Calls. Um, with this, I, I wanted to, you know, as I said, my eight-year-old son said, Dad, can I watch that one with you? And that was actually really nice that we sat down and still enjoyed it all the way back then. And the graphics have really held up. Mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So many movies of 1994, 1993, you know, th there's some that just, yeah, have not stood the test of time. And this, because it keeps it to that comic book cartoon style, is brilliant. Mm. I mean, I, I, like I said, I mean, I enjoyed rewatching this film completely. And I kind of agree with Cliff in some ways where you kind of saw two styles of acting from Jim Carrey mm -hmm. with, with that straightness from Stanley and then the, the mask itself. And um, that's kind of uh, impressive for his like second biggest film. Yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> I mean, me. going straight into a special effects comedy as well, because I always thought that's the things they say is that like, comedy and things like special effects i don't know if they always okay maybe things that like you ghostbusters but i always feel like more modern films that have tried to do real more heavy concept but also try and do comedy at the same time don't always pay off too well i don't know um might be completely way off the mark there but yeah this had a really nice balance between almost being like a special effects film but not forgetting it is just a proper good comedy at heart it didn't it didn't rely on you know technical mm -hmm. advancements in filmmaking you know to sell itself it was very much you know what was on paper that you know mm. did heavy lifting which was good but I, I quite like i think they timed it well in the film like you you got to know stanley quite well well enough mm -hmm. and then they they kind of knew it, exactly where in the film to turn into the mask and mm. as soon as he did you know it just 
changed the film completely and just pumped this energy straight in that wasn't there in the first at the beginning and it just completely blew away um and just a I don't know, just the gag after gag after gag with the mask. And mm-hmm. you, you, you just didn't really have a chance to calm down before he was doing something mm. stupid again. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things I liked about it so much. Uh, with that contrast, you know, and they, they kind of seem to know throughout the film when was the right time to bring the mask back in just to mm-hmm. give it pump it back up a little bit. Yeah, and, and they it didn't that. overdo it yeah. either, which is a no. good choice. Yeah, it wasn't like he put the mask on at the beginning and he was the mask mm. for the rest of the film. I think that would have been too much. Yeah. But to, to have the the points, you know, the balance to go in between the two different characters as well, I think really worked for the film. I mean, you had that nice Completely. chunk as well where like, Dorian, obviously an antagonist, had possession yeah. of the mask and that thing it gave the nice dynamic where you really, it made you want to see Stanley get the mask back again, it mm-hmm. made it felt earned. You really wanted it, it instead of it just being chucked at you to the point it didn't really mean anything. Yeah, it was in the and wrong also, hands, and it was costing yeah. people's lives, and it was horrible. It was actually quite terrifying. Dorian, it's, in the mask. it's quite it's, weird because you don't appreciate the the in, the desires and sort of stuff that the mask brings out into positive, empathic people. Hmm. Until mm-hmm. you see it in the hands of Dorian. Yep. And you see how literally menacing and evil and just extremely dark it can be. And then you realise that what Stanley Ipkiss was doing as the mask was so tame and kind of innocent fun. Because yeah. that's that's what he liked doing, was watching cartoons and reading comic books and... That came out when he wore the mask, and then you'd just realise, hang on a minute, in the wrong hands, like any well, like any serious super weapon, really. <laughs> you know, what it what it's capable of. And it was great. Like Rich said, it was really rewarding once Stanley gets it, and then you realise, oh, the, the fun is back, and here we go. And it's like Especially a Milo gets it first. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And his reaction to it is like, Milo? Wow. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll change my pick now. This is definitely my second favourite. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll take Cameron Diaz over transphobia, so yeah, <laughs> I think that's I think that's a fair um fair assessment. So yeah, okay, I'll take it back. Uh, but let's talk mm. a little bit about Cameron Diaz. Obviously this was her <laughs> oh, first come on, don't do this to me. <laughs> this was the first her first film. Um, and it kind of catapulted her as well. Mm into the stardom and she made quite a successful career um from this mm-hmm. film um do you think she played played it well i mean she was just playing she was just playing like a, a dumb blonde girl really wasn't she like, oh come on that's not really nice <laughs> i don't know how it was progressive uh, yeah i don't know if that's <laughs> it, i knew when i said it it was the wrong thing to say but i can't really i <laughs> think you know what i'm distress. trying to say don't you there you go dumb blonde girl Jesus damn Christ. damn so in distress because i think yeah i think she she works well on that basis of that, you know, that Ipkiss wants to be the knight in shining armor mm. and eventually gets to do that. And obviously the ending where he throws the mask into the water for, um, you know, future Avengers to find because of Loki. Um, but no, um, but no, I think that, yeah, that it's almost like she plays that, you know, she she plays it well for Ipkiss's journey of, you know, getting to that moment of being that confident person he wants to be. I think 
But she, she, it's not, I don't think it's Oscar winning actress uh, for that one. But I think she plays well to the story and does said more damsel in distress than dub blonde. Yeah. But no, yeah. definitely. I mean, it was I the think... wrong thing to say. But yeah, I mean, you knew what I was trying to say. <laughs> we're not gonna, yes, we're not I knew. I you saved Jason, you. Sorry. I saved you. I got yeah, you back. You did. Well done, Cliff. Thanks, man. Appreciate <laughs> it. I think, she had, the, I think yes. she had just like the right amount of agency about her. She wasn't, yeah, mm-hmm. nice, like a pathetic character. I, one thing that did surprise me, I remember when, obviously when I first watched this film, I did almost expect the the license to kill twist where it's gonna gonna kind of be like she was the object of his affection. He ends <laughs> yeah. up with he ends up with Peggy instead. Was yeah. it Peggy? <laughs> Obviously, she yes, did like a whole was. hill turn yeah. on him, which was a bit yeah. like, that's a bit of a shame. So, yeah. the rest wrestling turn for you there. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was quite a good twist in the film. Yeah, I mean, like you know, she's yeah, no, wanted the fifty thousand. She so yeah, was like, I mean, like she played played it really well and they both did and they they were so believable that even re-watching it last week i still fell for it i still f- felt like oh he's peggy's gonna end up with, with stanley here you know yeah. and then completely forgetting she just stabs him in the back for the fifth grand so <laughs> <laughs> <like>, you what <laughs> how, how and rude the, and the last thing about this movie it's got a sing-along Yes. Um, yes. (laughs) Like, I think, yeah. That (laughs) to be honest, I still go down the street going boom, chicka boom, boom, chicka boom, boom, chicka boom. (laughs) I, I mean, it's, I'm, it's one of the most, it's an iconic moment in cinema to me. Mm-hmm. Um. Th- th- yeah. That's. Yeah. It's one of those moments that. Yeah. Th- it, it just takes it in a completely different direction. <laughs> yeah. What I thought amazing was because I, it's very because I had it on VHS and I think DVD at some point. You never mm. you never see the full screen on VHS. So when I watched it in widescreen on my like my massive TV, I realised that the SWAT team are doing trapeze acts in the background. <laughs> yeah. I'd never seen that before. It was an entirely new thing to me. I was just like, whoa, whoa what? <laughs> and I, I had to get up and watch, and they were doing yeah, trapeze acts during this big scene <laughs> while all the cops were singing and dancing. It was just the most batshit crazy thing. I led to it's one, one of the throwaway lines as well. It's just about the whole, like, the SWAT team of being like, they've got a, they've got called up to Vegas or something. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, but... We can all say our things about the Ghostbusters 2016 thing, but when I saw that and they deleted the scene where Kevin or possessed Kevin makes the cops dance, mm. I am pretty damn right sure that it, this film was an inspiration for that shot that yeah. they play over the opening credits of him making everyone dance and sing along because it is too similar to not be influenced by the, this scene in the mask. It just has to be. It's one of those scenes as well that you you notice something, as you said, you like yeah, the trapeze acts. You notice, notice something still. different every time. You yeah. notice something different happening every time. There's well, so I much going on. I literally had no idea, and I think that comes from VHS and DVD being so dark yeah. on old TVs, and you sit down, you watch it on like 4K <laughs> through Netflix, and I I was laughing. I, it was the funniest shit because I had mm. to physically get up. <laughs> <laughs> to look at what I was imagining I was seeing and know they were, yeah, instead of <laughs> on their harnesses, they were just hanging by their legs. <laughs> Catch, oh, it's just amazing. Circus Soleil in the yeah. mask. <laughs> it, just cra- it just cracked me up. Uh, well, well, mentioning that scene, I mean, that was, and I'm sure uh, a lot of other people, but I mean, that was my favourite scene of the film when he, you know, cracked into that whole number. Um 
Cliff, do you have a favourite scene from this film? Um, blah, blah, blah. Milo having the mask is just brilliant. I, I do like the sort of subtle uh, nods to those 1930s, 1940s cartoons. With And there, there's one of the moments where Milo just turns his head and goes, like that. It's like, almost like a... Um, uh, Muttley sound. They give him a Muttley laugh, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They, it's and the sort of ways I one goes bigger than the other. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I do really like that scene, and I do love D- uh Dorian in it as well when he does turn, as you were saying, that that brilliant thing of you know in the wrong hands. I do mm. like that sort of scene where he he bulks out. He just I I think yeah I I don't know. I just I'm a really big lover of this movie, and I do love the sort of the the sort of cop duo as well going throughout this movie. And there's some really, really sort of funny <laughs> scenes between them and Ipkiss, like the whole sort of jokes, the running jokes of uh, his ties and stuff like that, and his pajamas. And yeah, no, I, I, I just, there's too many scenes to say, but yeah, favorite has to still be Boom Chicka Boom. <laughs> Cuban Pete is definitely, yeah, just epic level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rich, do you have a favorite? moment um, a favorite line moment i probably would agree and I'd lean towards milo getting a mask it's the one thing you didn't expect you know it's like yeah you're seeing these really fantastic effects but you didn't expect to see it on a little dog it just was <laughs> like okay this film's like stepped up now like another level it's just oh um other than that i'm i'm still a big fan of the whole balloon animal sequence. I think it's really, really adorable. Yes. Like, a tummy gun. Just, and the whole not realising for the longest time he pulled out a condom as well. I was like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. my, my innocent yeah. eyes for so many years. I was like, oh, it's a, you know, a bad balloon. So, drunk packet. <laughs> I just love how the, you know, the, like, the, the would-be muggers were like really enthralled with it and they were just like really expressive and he was really sad when, you know, the duck, well, the duck had rabies, had to be put down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really, really sad. <laughs> it just was quite sweet. Like it's it yeah, it's a really lovely scene in a really twisted way. Um but yeah, I'd say maybe a blue animal Tommy gun. That's mm. my favourite. It was a um, good scene mm. I did enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Chris, have you got a favourite moment at all from the film? Um Probably like we said, it since watching it the other day, it's just gotta be that, that sing along with the police and the SWAT team because mm. that just had me in stitches. It was so well done and so well choreographed, and just just for seeing the Trapeze Act SWAT team alone, it has to go to that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just has. Yeah, definitely. Um, and obviously, this film uh, gave us even more catchphrases to uh, to to proclaim in the playground with uh, smoking. Um, mm. did, did we use this one a lot at all, or was it just me? Somebody stop me was mine. Yeah. yeah. Somebody stop me. Did you used to yeah, do the yeah, eyebrow that's thing right. as well then? That's right. I got that's Just, no, I haven't really got eyebrows. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've got an expressive mouth, but not really expressive oh, eyes. Okay. It's yeah. a bit hides behind the glasses. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Mask was the second most profi- profitable film based on a comic up to that point. Behind the 19... 19- oh. Behind the 1978 Superman film. Jeez. The film... What, more than Batman? Apparently, Wow. Yeah. The film um, influenced the resurgence of swing music in the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> the Mask and Robin Williams, love it. 
Yeah. Robbie Williams, not Robin Williams, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it helped cement Carey's reputation as a significant actor of the 90s and established Diaz as a leading lady. Carey was nominated for a Golden Globe for his role and the film was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects but lost to Forrest Gump. A standalone sequel, Son of the Mask... Nah, never happened. <laughs> was uh, released in 2005 to a critical and box office failure. Um, in 1989, Michael Richardson and Todd Mo- Moyer, who was executive vice president of Dark Horse Comics, first approached New Line Cinema about adapting the comic The Mask into a film after 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 having seen other other offers. The main character went through several transformations and the project was stalled a couple of times. One unused mask idea, according to Mike Richardson, was to transform the story into one about a mask maker who turned faces who took faces off corpses to put them on teens and turn them wow. into zombies. Okay. Initially intended to become a new horror franchise, New Line Cinema offered the job of directing the film to Chuck Russell. However, Russell found the violence of the comic to be off-putting and wanted the film to be less grim and adult-orientated and more fun and family-friendly than the source material. (laughs) Therefore, The Mask was born that we know and love today. Released on July 29th, 1994, with a budget of between $18 and $23 million, it took $351.6 million worldwide. Uh, with an IMDb rating also of 6.9 out of 10. I thought that would have been a bit higher. Nice. Hmm. That would be higher. But yeah, that was The Mask. Any... We should, um, don't, yeah, one that we'll say about, don't, I don't want to skim over it. The, uh, the cartoon series is bloody good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I love yeah. That. yeah. Friday. Was it Friday on Children's BBC? It was like mm-hmm. every Friday. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Still remember the theme tune. Great stuff. That's what I love Actually, about this like, trilogy of films. It's like the only three films that Jim Carrey starred in that got an animated show. All three of them that we're mm. talking about tonight is just yeah. the most random thing ever. Sure. I mean, like, I think if Jim wanted to, he could have retired at the end of this year and, and lived quite a comfortable life. Definitely. Um, thankfully, he didn't because, you know, he made some other great films after this, but it, 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 very easily he could have just done that. But, um, yeah. So our last film that we want to talk about Dumb and Dumber. Why are you going to the airport? Flying somewhere? How'd you guess? Uh, I saw your luggage. And when I noticed the airline ticket, I put two and two together. So where are you headed? Aspen. Mmm, California. Beautiful. Name's Christmas. Lloyd Christmas. I'm Mary Swanson. This isn't my real job, you know. No? Nope! My friend Harry and I are saving up our money to open our own pet store. That's nice. I got worms. I beg your pardon? That's what we're gonna call it. I got worms. We're gonna specialize in selling worm farms. You know, like ant farms. What's the matter? A little tense about the flight? Something like that. There's really nothing to worry about, Mary. Statistically, they say you're more likely to get killed on the way to the airport. Uh, you know, like uh, in a head-on uh, crash or flying off a cliff or getting trapped under a gas truck. That's the worst. I have this cousin. Well, I have this cousin. Lloyd, could you keep your eyes on the road, please? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good thinking. Can't be too careful. A lot of bad drivers out there. Dumb and Dumber is a 1994 American buddy comedy film directed by Peter Farrelly, who co-wrote the screenplay with Bobby and Burnett Yellin. Starring Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels, it tells the story of Lloyd Christmas and Harry Dunn, two dumb but well-meaning friends from Providence, Rhode Island, who set out on a cross-country trip to Aspen to return a briefcase full of money to its owner, thinking it was abandoned as a mistake, though it was actually left as ransom money. Lauren Holly, Karen Duffy, Mike Starr, Charles Rocket and Terry Garr play supporting roles. Um, Dumb and Dumber was probably my second most anticipated film to watch for this. Um, I think I always look back on this one with such great fond memories of just watching two dudes doing stupid shit. And I remember seeing it in cinema and just tears, just tears rolling down the cheeks. Um, Yeah, guys, but what's your memories of the film? I mean, for me, I've, said this for the longest time this is actually my favorite comedy of all time mm. <laughs> so oh, just, guess which one's stunning. my favorite of the three <laughs> <laughs> it's, i don't know what it says about me but it plays this thing that really appeals to me that kind of similar to things like beavis and butthead and bottom it it depicts people that have kind of fallen through the cracks in society and it, it has two quite sad sympathetic characters despite some of their actions um <laughs> and I think that makes it the most satisfying viewing of the three. Um, and it's nice to see Jim Carrey in a role where he gets to play off someone else as well, who's also doing stupid shit, instead of him just kind of somewhat sticking out like a sore thumb around, you know, more straight characters. Um, and I, I again, similar to the whole you know, societal thing, it's something I always love about a road movie as well. And this is a fantastic road movie. I, I like it being that journey that it feels like you're on, you know, you and practically yeah. feel like I'm sitting in the back of the Mutz Cuts fan. It, it's just <laughs> a good time. It, it, it's, yeah. And the, the soundtrack is the best movie soundtrack yeah. of all time. It's so freaking 90s. Yeah, I think that was one of the it's, things that really stuck out for me when I was rewatching it was forgetting how good that soundtrack actually was. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. To mate is incredible. You know, you've got where I find my heaven. You know, theme to the uh, much forgotten BBC Two sitcom Game On. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, great, uh, Chris. Do you have much memories, mate? Dom and Dom, yeah, quite quite a few. Uh, again, one of those films that you watch, and it just it it had that cohesive plot that I said was missing from the mask. It just has this string all the way through it there's a thing they need to do and this is just like rich said it's just this snapshots of this road trip happening between just two batshit silly guys who got completely the wrong idea but just run with it <laughs> and it's just just madcap situation after situation after situation and just just a scene in a diner alone <laughs> I just, I just, I can't when he's just squeezing the bottles and Jeff Daniels is funny. <laughs> Jeff Daniels does it funnier. But when you watch Jim Carrey do it and he slams him on the deck and it goes up his nose, you physically see him gag. Because it goes up his nose and you literally see him with the mustard. Oh, it just, it just floors me every time. And the fact that he trades in a massive van. 
<laughs> for a shitty little <laughs> lawnmower powered bike. Which, incidentally, I found on YouTube a few days ago. Some guys did that road trip to no. Aspen. Seriously. On one, they made their own bike. That's I think cool. I think they made it and put a lawnmower engine in it, and they went. Wow. To Aspen from the road location where Jeff Daniels is picked up <laughs> on this thing, <laughs> and they made it. <laughs> How long did it take them? I think it took them like five days with a, <laughs> with a support crew. Fair play. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the link to the video. It's yeah. just, it's half an hour video, and it's just, yeah. it's just hilarious, and it's just That's crazy. And basically two guys proving that it's doable. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Cliff? Um, Yeah, no, actually, do you know what? Out of the three, this was the least watched. Um, I've I've rarely seen Dumb and Dumber. Um, So it was nice going back and watching it. But there is... I've got to admit, it is a lovely sort of story where it's like, as you said, from A to B, you know, road trip movie, um, two guys that are completely oblivious to their own surroundings uh, going up there. But one thing I noticed is Lloyd is one step away from Cable Guy. I mean, <laughs> yes. Lloyd is an absolute nutter. He stalks someone all the way, you know, how many of you hundreds of miles up there? He manipulates Harry all the way through the movie. Like, he's so selfish. Yeah. Like, uh, there's a scene where they're around the uh, fire and he's like, Lloyd, I, ca- I can't even feel my hands anymore. And he's <laughs> like, oh, have my second pair of gloves. My hands started to get sweaty. You know, I think it's like um, to the point of the truckers when the, when uh, he's like, throw the salt behind you. You spilled salt, throw the salt behind yeah. you. And he lugs the salt behind yeah. him, hits the trucker. <laughs> and he's like, who did it? He sort of leans back and he's just pointing at Harry uh-huh. going, it's him, it's him. Um and it, like even to the point of when they have um uh Joe the hitman and they put the killer chili into yeah. his burger, he's dying. Like yeah. literally, the and guys they're laughing as attack. if it's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> literally, Jim just jumps over yeah. him and goes ha like that, and I'm like. <laughs> Lloyd is Lloyd is one step off of Cable Guy. Um, I mean, he's absolutely like the point of that. He's there's so many things, even like the um, the scene with the uh, the uh, uh, oh, what are they called uh, things that make you put laxatives. Uh, the laxatives are putting them into Harry's uh, coffee, you know, oh. before he goes out. Like he's evil. Lloyd is such a selfish individual, evil individual at times as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I might have that sort of scene where it's he's riding to her and he's like on the bike going, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. I think that is literally sums up that movie for me. <laughs> Lloyd's is an evil git. <laughs> yeah. Without realising it. Yeah, no, yeah, no, he's completely just oblivious. stupid yeah. fun. <laughs> you're, you're right. He's totally oblivious to it. He's not doing anything that he thinks he's doing wrong. He's just... Well, what, what he doesn't have an understanding of actually what he's doing, you know, um, to the point of where he's in that first scene where he sort of goes, it's okay, I'm a liberal driver, and which did get me. I had to watch it a couple of times afterwards where he sort of just jumps out of the uh, the plane bridge where when he's trying to get onto the plane to give her back her case. Um, but no, I, 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 yeah, no, out of the three movies, I had seen it the least, but... I enjoyed going back to watch it. I think I actually enjoyed it the most watching it back. Mm. Cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you, you mentioned some of the, the gags that they, they brought up in the film. 
um, the, obviously the laxative one. And I still laughed out loud when oh, yeah. when the woman, I've forgotten her name, um, said that the toilet wasn't working. Mary, yeah. That's right. And I was like, just laughing out loud and just imagining myself in that situation and what he was doing. It was just, oh, just so funny. <laughs> so funny. What are you doing oh. in there? Shaving? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, even near the beginning, right at the beginning, it, it's really set the scene uh, when the window comes down of the limo and he, he, Lloyd is talking to that uh, lady at the bus stop. And like, you know, he, he asked her where she's from and she says from Austria. And then he just goes into the whole like, oh, let's throw a shrimp on the barbie, shall we? And, and all this. It's just oh, that's so funny. Um, and, and even um, with Harry uh, selling his uh, dead, dead budgie, to, to the the blind child uh, and sellotaping oh, sellotaping the head to the yeah. body pretty bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and there's your running the, yeah there's your running joke cliff because obviously um, yep. where, where Mary's waiting for Harry to sort himself out shaving um, she's watching that news report of that's yeah. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about that. <laughs> oh god! I still, I mean, I, I love birds, but god, that bit though, when they they're in the they're in the apartment after they you know they pull Petey's, Petey's head off, and it's like oh, pets' heads are falling off. And they're just like <laughs> yeah. reflecting on how bad their life is, and it's just yeah. that's one of the things they point out. It's just mm-hmm. like it's so good. And oh, I think yeah. one of the other gags that really uh, it's always stayed with me. I think when I look back at this film, was the it, they're in the in the van. On their road trip, and then you know Lloyd just kind of turns around and goes, "Do you want to hear the most annoying sound ever?" Oh, yeah, oh I yes. tried to do this so many times. <laughs> it's it's just this perfect like palate flexing nasally <laughs> noise, and I don't know how he does it. It's a, it's an amazing noise. It, it just perfectly encapsulates what he's trying to do. Um, <laughs> and like you say, I think we've all tried to re, uh, reenact it, but always failed mm. every time. Um, but I mean, is there? Yeah, yeah, with Dumb and Dumber, it, it's so hard to narrow down like a favourite moment, isn't there? Mm. I mean, how how can you in a film like this? Or can it's you? hard. There's so many. Like when he's stuck on the ski lift, he's like, "Oh, yeah. frost!" Oh god! Yeah. And then it's that the, when he's got he's goes around <laughs> a couple of times, and it's like <laughs> the spit dripping out the side of his yes. mouth. Like, hey, kid, you haven't possibly got a cup of warm water, and I'm like. That that yeah, brilliant. Um, there's so many bits in it when the yeah. owl gets hit by the sh- champagne yeah, yeah, yeah. cork. Yeah. Oh, just there's so many bits in it. Sure, even on the on the bike, um, and they and they've they've reached Aspen, but obviously it's so cold, and like, you could see where all their snot has kind of like run out of their nose, but then frozen. Um, mm. just just those little visual gags as well uh, were just on point, I think. Completely, and there's. There's so many, as I said, there's so many lines. There's so many lines in this movie. Like when he's walking out of the pub and he's like, oh my God, they put a man on the moon? Oh, you know, yeah. and that whole excitement <laughs> behind that. I mean, there's, there's like literally sat here, I could think of, I think with all of the, the both of the other movies, even though I do love The Mask, you could sit here for a whole podcast and 
just reminisce all the lines from that that made you laugh out loud. So I remember rightly as well, on the DVD features, that was ad-libbed by Jim Carrey as he walked out of the bar. Uh, you can tell. It's a very uh, Jim moment, it was, isn't it? It was, <laughs> I believe, if I remember rightly, some, they're interviewing someone and she says, or he says, that it was just set dressing for the lo- the location where they were shooting. Mm. And obviously him and Jeff were trying to get into this mode of like, you're not pretending to be dumb and silly, so you're not putting on an act, just... Mm-hmm. You are, you do have an IQ of like 10 or 15, you know. So when he walks out, he's, Jim Carrey apparently saw this picture on the wall of this archive of Man Lands on the Moon. And he's just like, <laughs> no way. Sweet. And just strolls out as if it's brand new news to him. And he's just like... <laughs> Shouting as the door's yeah. closing. <laughs> it's just fantastic. It's just, you couldn't have scripted it better. I have one like little... Um personal story I remember that was came off the back of this film that I always look back fondly. Um must have been like fifteen years ago, um, doing like a, a work um Christmas party. Um I was in the toilet. My mate was in one of the cubicles uh, taking a dump. Uh, <laughs> massive <laughs> fan of Dumb and Dumber. He had the line, um, I desperately want to make love to a schoolboy as his ringtone, as his message tone. <laughs> he was in there doing his business. I was at the urinal. There was some guy nearby, some middle-aged guy, not connected to us at all. His phone goes off in the toilet and I watch this guy's shoulders to start oh to shake God. and he's pissing himself <laughs> and he's trying to keep... And yeah, he just wasn't ready for... I does want to make love to a schoolboy just echoing in his toilet. And I was laughing because he was laughing and my mate's <coughs> laughing and it's just like... It was proper like that Beavis and Butthead kind of like domino effect of laughter. We're just yeah, yeah. cackling to ourselves. It was just a very magical moment thanks to that film. So yeah. just That's a great, great memory. Yeah. It's a great one. <laughs> Um, I think uh, one of the questions I want to ask is: Do you do you think, like with Ace Ventura, do you think this film has aged well? Like, yeah, I think so. I mean, the I th- Farrelly Brothers films can have their issues sometimes, but mm. uh, I don't necessarily look at anything that's a super, you know, problematic in it. There's probably worse. Um, I'm probably thinking of things like uh, me, myself, and Irene. <laughs> Let's not go there with that one. Um, yeah, I don't think it's aged that poorly. I, in a way, I think, I think it's, it's aged kind of quite well because it's very like neutral humour. There's not really any offensive yeah. shit in it, really, mm. other than selling a bird to a dead bird to a blind kid. But that's just a <laughs> that's just a ridiculous thing, and that's that's what I loved about it. Was like <laughs> when he said he says. Petey died, and he's like, no way, Petey died? Yeah, his head fell off, as if it was just a thing that happens. Birds' heads just fall off, and they die, and he didn't even question that someone had been around their flat and ripped the bird's head off. (laughs) It just... (laughs) Well, what do you think, like, for for such a funny, uh, like a film filled with so many funny gags, um... How do you feel like they ended the film? Do you think I, they ended it well? Uh, yeah, I think that sort of they never, you know, they, they sort of just continued their journey. Obviously, you were saying, like, has it aged well? It's Debbie 90s, the ending, with a 
a bus full of bikini models that turn up and <laughs> ask if they, if they know of anybody who possibly wants to go and be all of them. Um, you know, so there is that moment where it's very 90s, but I, I think it's quite a good ending to the movie because it's almost like they don't, even though they're the heroes, they don't get anything really for doing it apart from, mm. you know, a book a load of IOUs. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's... Yeah, no, I I, th- I think it's nice because it's one of those sort of things that it doesn't necessarily have an ending. And if I'm sure we'll talk about the sequel in a second, but I, I don't think it necessarily needed a sequel. Mm. Um, It could have been just, it's nice just to think that they're still out there somewhere going from point A to point B mm. on another wacky adventure. Yeah. I mean, I think like, I brought it up just because like the, the whole film was about Lloyd getting to Aspen for Mary, you know, because he was in love with her. And and then, like, it was just, no, uh, you know, Mary's got a husband and she's going to obviously stay with him and Lloyd just kind of misses out, which kind of made, brought, like, a, a sad little, sad point to the film, I thought. But I suppose they, they did bring it back up with the with the bus scene. It was a, it was probably <laughs> a, a, it is a, a good way to, to, to end the film. And especially, like, when they, they say... The lines like, "Oh, you need to go to this town," and then the bus oh. drives off, <laughs> yeah. and then they start running. They look at each other, and then they run after the bus. And so your yes. automatic assumption is, "Oh, they they've realised what yeah. mistake they've made. <laughs> they could be the oiler boys." Sorry, it was the other way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and you know, like, you could uh, in the cinema, you could probably hear the majority of the audience just slapping their foreheads. With like, no. But. That's what I loved about those models as well, is that they look at the confusion on their faces as yeah. well. They're yeah. like, what? Why are you, just, yeah. why are you helping yeah. us in this fashion? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they just looked so, yeah, it's, it just worked so well. Mm-hmm. Right. It does. Can I just say, though, that that scene when they walk into that club and <laughs> he gets hit around the back of the legs with that cane. I have felt that now since 1995. <laughs> you can all you can feel that every time because you hear that swoosh through the air and then that contact around the soft part of the leg at the back and you just oh my god. Did um did any of you ever want the suits that they they wore? Um, they were pretty. Uh, what no. the, the lovely there, bright orange and bright blue number? Mm. They're, mm-hmm. they're beautiful. They were. <laughs> <laughs> they always reminded me of some sort of frutella sweet, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or an opal fruit. That's it, probably. Yes. Were back then, obviously, yeah, ninety-four. <laughs> yeah. Still a marathon bar. <laughs> um, well, Nicholas Cage, who was proposed to be Carrie's co-star, tried to negotiate a two million dollar wow. increase in his fee. But New Line decided against casting him and signed Jeff Daniels oh, instead. I would have loved full, full, oh full blown Cage in that what, film. Batshit mad at Nicolas Cage. Oh my God, that would have been amazing, him and Jim Carrey. <laughs> oh, man. It never happened, did it? Like Nicolas Cage and Jim Carrey film, did it? Oh my God. I don't know. I, 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 so I, I think those two would kill each other. Do I think, think so. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine the yeah. Nicolas Cage mask remake. I'd be there for that. Mm. I'll tell you what, though, the, masks. the genius of casting Jeff Daniels, I think, just works so well because just like when the Abrams and the Zuckers cast straight actors for like Airplane yeah. and Police Squad, and like Jeff Daniels, I believe, isn't he 10 years older than Jim Carrey? Mm. 
and it kind of really? works that the I'm sure he's a bit older than Jim, and it just kind of works as this older, younger, two best friends who kind of find themselves <laughs> in the same flat until he that has a shit- real sad sack. Yeah, until that shitty prequel established that they met at school, but it's Mm. just like, Mm. it just works because you've just got this, is Jeff Daniels doing such a sincere thing with such a straight face that it's funnier than it would be hiring a comedic actor. So having that straight man balancing out the madcap comedy guy, even though they're both doing comedy, having that straight man actor... Mm-hmm. opposite it kind of balances it and it, it just works really well <laughs> no you're right yeah yeah i mean daniels was only paid around fifty thousand dollars wow um new line cinema originally did not want daniels in the film as he was known only for his dramatic work at the time however the Faradays and carey wanted daniels for the part and although new line agreed to their demands daniels was offered a low salary in the hopes it would discourage him from signing on to the film daniels <laughs> Uh, Daniels ultimately accepted the role, despite his agent reportedly dissuading him out of fears it would kill his career. Don't think that was particularly needed to be worried about. <laughs> wow. Um, Steve Martin and Martin Short both turned down the role of Lloyd. According to Splitsider, Gary Oldman and Cage were the original choices for Lloyd and Harry. Gary But on a on a bit of a like on a bit of a tangent here, but having another Steve Martin and Martin Short vehicle together rather than up for the same part would have actually been very interesting, but also I don't think it would have worked. <laughs> I don't think it would have but, pulled in the audience as much you, as well, do you think? No, I don't know. I mean Because they they obviously I think it was too soon after Far of the was it this before Father of the Bride or after? Where obviously mm. Martin Short was Frank, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. He was the wedding planner, I think wasn't it's he? Yeah. After. So it would have been, I think, too soon. And too, cause could you just imagine? No, no, I don't want to. It's one of those films that it's one of those films that's pure lightning in a bottle moment, and you just you don't want it. You know, you want to imagine other people. Mm. But Gary Oldman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like what? <laughs> he's not the Lloyd we need. Mm-hmm. He's the Lloyd we deserve, or whatever he says in Batman. Can't remember now. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> Messed it up. Go no. Um Chris Elliott and Rob Lowe were also both considered for the role of Harry. Rob Lowe. Jeez. So I say Rob Lowe, even though he came kind of late into his comedy, didn't he? With like Parks and Rec and a few independent things. And obviously being friends with Mike Myers. So I could see that. Um, December the 16th, 1994, this film was released. So it just got in to the year just in time. Uh, With a budget of $17 million, it brought in $247.3 million. Not bad. So not as much as The Mask, but um, still an impressive haul. uh, With an IMDb rating of 7.3 out of 10. So the best... The best rating of uh, of the three on IMDb, um, but I mean that that leads me to my final question on these films, and Rich has already probably answered this for us. But I mean, what what is out of the three films? What is you know your favourite film? I'll go to Chris first. I think it's going to be Dumb and Dumber. I just think it's got everything 
it's got the ad libs, the madcap energy. You've got the energy of Carey, and it blends, it kind of balances perfect with Jeff Daniels' kind of laboured energy, but mm-hmm. not in a bad way. I think it was deliberate. And it just works on a just structural level as well. It just works so much better than... I enjoyed The Mask, and I have I grew up what loving Ace Ventura, but I think on rewatch alone, I think Dumb and Dumber has more standout moments and just works so much better as a final piece for me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Just for just watching Jim Carrey snort ketchup and mustard <laughs> and, gag- and gagging on screen. You even hear it. You They, they almost cut just before he throws up. <laughs> it's just stunning. Um, Cliff? Um, I was ready to come to bat for the mask, but... Mm-hmm. I, as I said, I think the one that I enjoyed re-watching the most and the one that I've giggled, out, giggled about the most while re-talking about it was Dumb and Dumber. Mm-hmm. I think it is the strongest movie. I think it's, as I said, you, we could. Sit, I think we could actually sit here all night and continue to think of very funny moments <laughs> that we haven't even mentioned in that movie yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah, it's, it's very well good well-written story, very well-directed, and incredibly well-acted. Excellent. Um, and we know your answer, Rich, but what was it going to be? It's Dumb and Dumber, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hands down. It's a clean sweep for Dumb and Dumber. It's uh, not surprising, actually. I think I think I kind of saw that coming, because although like The Mask and Ace Ventura are great films in their own right, Dumb and Dumber just eclipses both of them just for the reasons that we've said. Um, and even even The Mask, I mean, I think out of the three, The Mask, even though it, I had a great time and the, the great jokes and the gags, it, it probably sits bottom for me out of the three um, because I think I just have those slight better memories of, of the other two that they've got slightly better gags in them. Is, is, mm-hmm. Do you think that's fair to say? No. <laughs> Mask was second, all right? We'll leave it at that. <laughs> no, no. I can see why you would say that. I think it's one of those things where we, we, I think it's what resonates with you the most and, you know, where we look back at nostalgia. If you have more of a nostalgic element towards Ace Ventura, then, yeah, I, I think that, but I think all three, you know, and this is testament to... uh uh, Jim himself, I think that every single one of them have got some cracking jokes, cracking moments, but it's it's hard to say what's where, if you know what I mean, yeah. you know, because I think I like Ace Ventura in one aspect, I like Dumb and Dumber in another, and I like Mask in another, it's a, yeah. it's a hard one to talk about. Mm-hmm. Agree. Um, well, that's um, that's the show, I hope you've enjoyed it, Cliff. Thank you very much for agreeing to join us. Um, it's been a You're pleasure welcome. having you on. And it's been a pleasure being here. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been an absolute doddle. Thank oh, you. Thank you very oh. much. Um, please plug yourself. Look, um, tell oh. people where your podcast is. <laughs> no, no, come on, guys. Stop it. Stop Sorry. it. Right. <laughs> no, it reminds me of a conversation I had at work two days ago where we got these new cushions in and the department I'm on, obviously, we deal with like the textiles and the curtains. And one of the girls I work with, Rachel, I turn around to her and, you know, you those people you just get on well with at work. And I said to her, right, 
where do you want these cushions that look like butt plugs? <laughs> and as soon as I said that, a guy walked around the corner and he just laughed. <laughs> and I, sh- I shit you not, these cushions look just like jewel-encrusted butt plugs in there. <sighs> And you know How when am you I just... meant to follow this? How am no. I meant to follow this? And that, that thought process, I've never been so embarrassed in my life. But the guy laughed, and the, and we we start. I couldn't I couldn't look him in the face. I had to walk off. I t- <laughs> even now. <laughs> I can't. I don't know if I can plug myself anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, good, oh, luck, Cliff. No. good luck, Cliff. Good luck, Anyway, uh, N64 Live Podcast. Uh, <laughs> on, on the Twitter, <laughs> on the Instagram, uh, on, on the Twitch. Yeah, just come and listen and then wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, yeah, N64 Live. Uh, it'd be lovely to see you join the Cartridge Blowers. And do you know what? Hopefully, this isn't my last time here. I've really, really enjoyed myself. That's and, been yeah. good, man. It's been yeah, great. No, we're I need to back. now look for some cushions that look. Oh, like just seriously! <laughs> if you go into the range, you cannot miss them. It's just, yeah, just I, I can't believe we sell stuff that looks that way. But then that might just be my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh <Bloody> no! <laughs> what a way to end the show. <laughs> I haven't sworn all show. Oh, I I oh dear. It's amazing. Oh. Um, and I, must, I must quickly commend you, Cliff, on the, the fact that you do this podcast solo. Um, and oh, I, thank you. I always uh, like to, to give a big well done to people who decide to try and achieve that and do it well. Because um, cool. I can imagine it's probably quite a difficult thing to do sometimes uh, i don't think i could do it personally um but for for yourself um and and the podcast um yeah just very highly commended mate uh, well done thanks yeah, so, definitely. no that that means a hell of a lot thank you yeah. thank you thank you thank you very much no um, you're welcome i mean I, I listen to the podcast when it comes out and uh, i listen to your latest one that dropped today um yes. it's always a good listen so um yeah i definitely highly recommend anyone that's listening now to go and check out the podcast um and you'll learn yourself some good information about good old n64 games thank you you're welcome um I mean, as well as the podcast. Um, I mean, do do you want anyone maybe want to follow you on Twitter or anything like that? Or yeah, just- so N sixty four Life podcast on Twitter. Or if not, you can find me at the amazing Cliff <laughs> on the Twitter as well. So yeah, so yeah, no, come and follow me, uh, my personal page, as well as I do have another podcast. However, it isn't dormant at the moment and that's hashtag wrwr pod uh so go and listen to that six years of absolute manic mayhem on the british wrestling scene so yeah you'll you'll learn the vicar as we've been once called before the vic and bob of the brit rest scene so yes it would be love you to listen to that as well thank okay. you brilliant go and do that um so uh, thank you, listeners, for listening. As always, we appreciate you spending your time with us. Don't forget, if you liked what you heard, then maybe check out our Patreon if you fancy throwing us a quid. It would really mean the ball to us. 
You'll find a link tree link in the show notes, which has all our links, including our website, Twitter handles and more. And if you have a few spare minutes, it would be awesome if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, as it really will help the show be more discoverable, algorithms and all that. And um, any reviews that do get submitted, I will read out on the show too. Um, Rich and Chris, any final words before we let these good people go? Um, I'm trying to think of something profound, really. So mm. I'm just going to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Chris sitting on one of the cushions at the range. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure they recycled that gag for Ace Ventura too, didn't they? When he's on the plane. He does that noise through the rolled up magazine. Yeah, he does. He does, he yeah. does the draft yeah. noise, doesn't he? Yeah, like that. <laughs> I just, oh my God. But uh, closing <laughs> notes, uh, yeah, who else could play the Riddler in a year's time? Very true, very, yeah, true. very true. Again, that was that was just that just meant to happen, wasn't it? Just, it was the perfect yeah. casting, definitely. Um, well, yeah, thank you again anyway. Uh, my name has been Jason, and you've been listening to What's Wrong With Wolfie, a 90s podcast to the max. Catch you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. What's wrong with Wolfie? I can hear him barking. <laughs>